0: Section 8 of the Story of the First Transcontinental Railroad by William Francis Bailey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. Completion of the Line. Connection made between Union and Central Pacific Railroads, May 9, 1869. Ceremonies at Promontory, May 10, 1869 celebrations in new york philadelphia chicago omaha salt lake city and san francisco by the terms of the supplementary charter of eighteen sixty four a great incentive was given the two companies the union pacific railroad and the central pacific railroad to get down as great a mileage as possible in addition to the government grant of land and bonds based on mileage There was the traffic of the Mormon country and Salt Lake City at stake. Besides this, it was readily seen that the line, having the greatest haul, would be correspondingly benefited when it came to subdividing earnings on transcontinental business. With these for incentive, both companies put forth every effort to cover the ground. In the early part of 1869, rails of each company, were going down from six to ten miles a day. Records in track lane were made then, that have never been broken. Near Promontory, a sign is still standing to announce, 10 miles of track laid in one day. Actual figures are not obtainable, but reliable contemporaries at that time stated that there were 25,000 men employed on the construction work of the two lines, as well as 6,000 teams and 200 construction trains. Both companies were anxious to establish point of advantage that they could use in the controversy that was inevitable, and which would determine the mileage and territory each was to enjoy. On April 29th, nine and a half miles remained unfinished. Three and a half for the Central Pacific Railroad, they having laid ten miles the day before and six miles for the union pacific railroad the latter being the ascent of promontory hill and including a stiff bit of rock work when the two tracks came together the central pacific railroad had nearly sixty miles of grading done parallel to the union pacific railroad track that is from promontory east to the mouth of weber canyon while the union pacific railroad had located their line to the california state line and most of the grading was done as far west as humboldt wells nevada four hundred and fifty miles from ogden as stated the two tracks were brought together at promontory on may ninth eighteen sixty nine but two rail links were kept open until the questions at issue were adjusted and also until a suitable program could be arranged for celebrating the event. Everything satisfactorily arranged, Monday, the 10th of May, 1869, was set for the ceremonies. The Central Pacific Railroad completed their track up to Promontory, May 1st. It was the intention to have the opening ceremonies on Saturday, May 8th, and the Central Pacific officials were on hand for that purpose. The Union Pacific Party coming west were delayed some 48 hours at Piedmont by a gang of graders and tracklayers who not having received their wages sidetracked the special train with Vice President Durant and his party, holding them as hostages until the company had paid over to the contractor some $250,000 due him and which he in turn distributed among the men. As early as 8 a.m. on the 10th, the spectators, mostly workmen of the respective companies, or other citizens of the railway camps, commenced to arrive. At 8.45, a special over the Central Pacific Railroad came in, with a large number of passengers. At 9 o'clock, the Union Pacific Railroad contingent arrived in two trains, and at 11 o'clock, the Central Pacific Railroad's second train carrying President Stanford and other officers of that company and their guests completing the party. In all, there were about 1,100 persons present, including a detachment of the 21st United States Infantry and its band from Fort Douglas, Utah. The Chinese laborers of the Central Pacific Railroad soon leveled the gap preparatory to putting down the ties, and all but one rail length was finished. Then engines number 119 of the Union Pacific Railroad and number 60, the Jupiter of the Central Pacific Railroad, were brought up to either side of the gap. These engines were gaily decorated with flags and evergreens in honor of the occasion. A suitable prayer was offered by Reverend Dr. Todd of Pittsfield, Massachusetts. The remaining ties were then laid, the last one being of California laurel, finely polished and ornamented with the silver plate bearing the inscription, The Last Tie Laid on the Pacific Railroad, May 10, 1869, with the names of the directors of the Central Pacific Railroad and that of the donor. This tie was put in position by Superintendents Reed of the Union Pacific Railroad and Strawbridge of the Central Pacific Railroad and was taken up after the ceremonies and has since that time been on exhibition in the superintendent's office of the Southern Pacific Company at Sacramento, California Depot. For the closing act, California presented a spike of gold, Nevada one of silver, Arizona, one of combined iron, gold, and silver, and the Pacific Union Express Company, a silver mall. At twelve noon, at a given signal, Governor Stanford, on the south side of the rail, and Vice President Durant, on the north, struck the spikes, driving them home. The two engines were then moved up until they touched, and a bottle of wine poured over the last rail as a libation the trains of the respective roads were then run over the connecting link and back to their own lines speeches and a banquet closed the occasion in the crocker art gallery in sacramento hangs a large oil painting of the meeting of the two engines the artist having inserted actual portraits of many of the more prominent officials of the two lines who participated in the ceremonies By previous arrangement, the strokes on the final spikes were to be signaled over all the wires of the several telegraph companies through the United States, business being suspended for this purpose. First, the message was sent over the wires, almost ready, hats off, prayer is being offered. Then, we've got done praying, the spike is about to be presented. Seven minutes later, already now, the spike will soon be driven. The signal will be three dots for the commencement of the blows, connection being made between the hammers and the wires. The blows on the spikes were flashed over practically the whole telegraph system of the United States. At 2.47 p.m. Washington time, 12.00 m. Promontory local time, came the signal done, and the bells of Washington, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and hundreds of other cities and towns announced that the American continent had been spanned, that through rail communication was established, never to be broken, that the Union Pacific Railroad was completed. The formal announcement to President Grant and through the press associations to every inhabitant of the civilized world was couched in the following language. Promontory Summit, Utah, May 10th, 1869. The last rail is laid, the last bike driven. The Pacific Railroad is completed. The point of junction is 1,086 miles west of the Missouri River and 690 miles east of Sacramento City. Leland Stanford, Central Pacific Railroad, T.C. Durant, Sidney Dillon, John Duff. Union Pacific Railroad. No sooner were the ceremonies complete than there was a rush made to obtain souvenirs. In ignorance of the fact that the last tie had been taken up and an ordinary one substituted, the relic hunters carried off the substitute piecemeal. In fact, some half-dozen last ties were so taken in the first six months after the roads were completed. An odd coincidence occurred at the closing ceremonies. The rail on the east was brought forward by the Union Pacific laborers, Europeans. That on the west by Chinese, both gangs having Americans as bosses. Consequently, here were Europe, Asia, and America joining in the work, the Americans dominating. Next morning, the Union Pacific Railroad brought in from the east half a dozen passenger coaches for the Central Pacific Railroad, these being attached to the special train of Governor Stanford when he was returning to California, constituting the first through equipment. All over the land, the different cities vied with one another in celebrating the event, which it was truly felt marked the beginning of a new epoch in the history of the United States. New York City celebrated with the "Tadam" being sung in trinity, the chimes ringing out old hundred, praise God from whom all blessings flow, and a salute of a hundred guns fired by order of the mayor. Philadelphia rang liberty bell and all fire alarm bells. Chicago had a parade four miles long, the city being lavishly decorated, and Vice President Colfax speaking in the evening. Omaha had the biggest day in its history, a hundred guns when the news came, a procession embracing every able-bodied man in the town, in the afternoon, speeches, pyrotechnics, and illuminations in the evening. At Salt Lake, the Mormons and Gentiles held a love feast in the tabernacle and decided to build a few railroads for themselves. San Francisco could not wait until the 10th. They started the evening of the 8th, when it was announced at the theaters the two roads had met, and it took two good solid days of celebrating to satisfy the people of that town. It was rightly felt that the completion of the line was an event in the history of our country. It marked the progress of the West united the Pacific Coast population with that of the East. It was the commencement of the end of the Indian Troubles, assured the settlement of the West, and the development of its mines and other resources. There has been but three general celebrations held in this country over works of public improvement. viz., the Erie Canal, Atlantic Cable, and the Pacific Railroad. Of the three, the latter was by far the more general. The poem by Bret Hart on this event is reproduced below. What the Engine Said What was it the engine said, Pilots touching head to head, Facing on a single track, Half a world behind each back. This is what the engine said, Unreported and unread. With a prefatory screech in a florid western speech, said the engine from the west. I am from Sierra's crest, and, if altitudes attest, why, I reckon it's confessed that I've done my level best, said the engine from the east. They who work best talk the least. Suppose you whistle down your brakes. What you've done is no great shakes. Pretty fair, but let our meeting be a different kind of greeting. Let these folks, with champagne stuffing, not the engines do the puffing. Listen where Atlanta beats, Shores of snow and summer heats, Where the Indian autumn skies Paint the woods with wampum dyes. I have chased the flying sun, Seen all that he looked upon, Blessing all that he blessed, Nursing in my iron breast, All his vivifying heat, All his clouds about my crest, And before my flying feet Every shadow must retreat. Said the western engine, foo, and a long whistle, blew. Come now, really that's the oddest, talk for one so modest. You brag of your east, you do, why I bring the east to you. All the orient, all Cathay, find me through the shortest way. And the sun you follow here rises in my hemisphere. Really, if one must be rude, length, my friend, ain't longitude. Said the union, don't reflect or, I'll run over some direct or. Said the central, I'm pacific, but when riled, I'm quite terrific. Yet today we shall not quarrel, just to show these folks this moral. How two engines, in their vision, once have met without collision. That is what the engines said, unreported and unread, spoken slightly through the nose, with a whistle at the close. The first through train reached Omaha May 6, arriving in two sections and bringing about 500 passengers. Although through trains were on regular schedule, commencing with May eleventh, it was not until November 6, 1869, that the road was actually completed according to judicial decision. Congress, to make sure of the fact, authorized the President by resolution passed April 10, 1869, to appoint a board of five eminent citizens to examine and report on the condition of the road and what would be required to bring it up to first-class condition. This board duly reported in October 1869 that the line was all right, but that a million and a half could be spent to advantage in ballasting terminal facilities Depots, equipment, etc. On the strength of which the wiseacres decided the road could not be considered complete, and withheld a million dollars worth of bonds due under the Charter Act. It was October first, eighteen seventy-four, before the fact that the line was actually completed sifted through the departmental red tape, and the Secretary of Interior, on the further report. Of three eminent citizens discovered that the road had been completed november 6 1869 as reported by the previous board of five and further that the total cost of the line had been 115 million two hundred and fourteen thousand five hundred and eighty seven dollars and 79 cents as shown by the books of the company for a while Business was interchanged at Promontory, but it was but a short time until the two companies got together and, in agreement, was reached by which Ogden should be the terminus, and that the Central Pacific Railroad Company should purchase at cost price $2,698,620, the line from the point five miles west of Ogden to the connection at Promontory. This five miles was subsequently sold to the Central Pacific Railroad. This arrangement was, as the West puts it, clinched by a resolution of Congress making Ogden the terminus. End of section eight. Recording by Paul Harvey.